calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terence McCauley. I am Terence McCauley, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Eric Beatner is one of those writers you may have heard about, but might not have read. He has written over 25 novels across several genres, more than 100 short stories, and has been nominated for several awards, including the Anthony, an ITW, a Seamus, a Derringer, and five enemies, Emmys, uh, the latter being for his television work. He also hosts the Writer Types podcast and Noir at the Bar reading series in LA. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. It's been a while, thanks to COVID and some other stuff. Um, I know you've got, uh, you've probably released five new books since we agreed to uh, do this one. Why don't you let me know about your latest and, uh, and tell us your inspiration for it? Uh, the latest is called There and Back. It's a, it's a thriller. Uh, it's about a group of young corporate executives who get sent on a team building retreat out into the wilderness. Uh, you know, I love that idea of, of the, the corporate America has. It's uh, sending people into trying situations to test their metals is somehow going to prove how they behave in a boardroom somewhere. Uh, but, you know, this being a thriller, things go horribly off the rails very quickly. And this group of people are forced to survive in the wilderness with absolutely no skills with which to do so. But, it, you know, it ended up being, I think, the, the, the foolish thing that I did was the way I structured it, because it, the story seemed apparent to me that, like, okay, I can't tell everything that happened out in the woods and then the aftermath because the aftermath is kind of what I was interested in mm -hmm. and the if we want to talk inspiration it goes way 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 back to a conversation I had a long time ago with a friend of mine in, in talking about Lord of the Flies and mm -hmm. how that book and that movie had it has such a powerful ending that leaves you hanging it's like the boys are rescued and oh my gosh, what's going to happen now that they've almost lost their humanity? Are they going to be able to integrate back into society? And, uh, you know, the, the way that ends is so great because you do have so many questions, but then you kind of have the questions. So I wanted to find out some of the answers. So the book right. is structured in a sense that you get, you know, one chapter is what happened out there in the woods. And then the next chapter is them, the survivors, because not everyone makes it back trying to reintegrate back into society and back into their jobs and with their families after they've been through both, you know, a harrowing experience. And, you know, they've, some of these people have sort of lost their humanity out there and, and sank to depths of depravity that the, they wouldn't think possible. So that was the interesting part of the story for me. And, and I think it, it was something that so far readers have really responded to in terms of like that, you know, the, the back and forth, you get a little clue of what happened out there and, and you know, dropping breadcrumbs along the way. But, oh, man, it just turned out to be a real beast to try to wrangle that thing into shape. Yeah. Now, did you have an outline for a story like that beforehand or did you just write it as you went along and created it? 
No, I, I'm definitely an outliner uh, in, in every book that I write. And this one was more detailed than I, I normally get because I'll, I'll do, you know, a, a two or three page, maybe just kind of bullet points. I, I, I just like to sort of have a roadmap of where I'm going. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those lines can be super simple and it turns into a two or 3000 word chapter. But this one was note cards taped to the wall and you know i had different colors for what happened in the woods and what happened back at home and if you know because i i started doing it sort of my normal way and i realized oh that's not going to cut it i need to get hardcore with this right right so you had a whole vision board with the yarn going to everything just like you yeah. see in all the true crime setups yeah 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 <laughs> wow so you you have written an awful lot over the years you've written series you've written standalones um, do you have a favorite type of story, if you will? Do you prefer standalones or do you enjoy series more? Or is it pretty much every book is its own character? I, I think in my heart, I, I do prefer standalones uh, only for the fact that I like a book, both as a reader and a writer, a story. If you're going to write crime or a thriller, I the, the idea of, of a long running series where you know the hero is going to be fine at the end. They're going to make it out alive, and you know they might be changed. They might go through some trauma. They might be slightly different, and all that. But they're they're going to survive. I love a book where I, you don't know if everyone's going to make it out alive, or you don't know chapter by chapter who's going to be there in the next chapter. So I, I like that unpredictability. I like not knowing where a story is going because I think. I know for any author is also a voracious reader. We're, we're the biggest book buyers in the world. And, right. you know, between books and, and the amount of movies that I watch and stuff, I'm surrounded by stories constantly. So it's hard to surprise people who are that immersed in it. So if if a book can, you know, fool me along the way or just take an unexpected turn or, or I, I don't know where the ending is going to be by chapter two, that's what I love, especially as a reader. I, 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 that's the kind of book that I'll, I'll really get excited about and, and can't wait to turn the next chapter. So that's the kind of thing that I try to write now. I mean, with the series that I've written, I've, I've only gone up to a trilogy in, in, you know, three different uh, series that I've, that I've done. And right. three books feels about right. Cause you, you still do sort of get, you get a complete arc, you get recurring characters, but I just don't, I think, have the mindset to do, you know, those 20, 25 book series, even though, you know, if you want to make a living as a writer, that's the smart way to go. But I've proven right. time and time again, I, do, I don't do the smart thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, as you say that from your uh, beachside Palm Beach uh, mansion. And yeah, I mean, everyone has these ideas that writers make a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, even even people who aren't on the bestseller list and they, they they just don't know how wrong they are. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. You've written in a bunch of different genres too. I think you've written crime fiction, you've written thrillers, and then you've also written westerns, just like I have. And I was wondering, do you have what are the challenges that you faced in writing each of those? And if you have a favorite, great. If not, that's good too. Well, I think at the core of it. It's it's all stories and it, and it really just comes down to characters and if I can latch on to characters that I like I, I it doesn't matter the setting I've written period pieces I've written you know modern day stuff 
male protagonist, female protagonist, first person, third person, I, none of that really bumps me in terms of being a, a challenge in, in any sense, as long, and as long as I have a sense of who the characters are. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the difference, I think, between uh, you, you spark and you have a great idea and like, oh, this, this could really be something. And then I'll kick it around in my head for a long time. I'll, I'll, you know, try, try to get an outline together, try to see if it's something that has legs to go for a full novel. And it really isn't until the characters appear and, and sort of start talking that I know, okay, this is something that, that I can make work. And, you know, whether they're on horseback or whether they're, you know, a detective in the city, it kind of doesn't matter because I think, you know, it's, it's all about trying to write realistic people in a situation that pushes them to their limits and, and we're going to wonder how they're going to squirm to get out of it. Beyond that, the setting is kind of secondary. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And a lot of people think that just because you write one genre, that's all you can write. And that's not the case. It's all about the, the story being good first. Oh, yeah. And I, I talk to people, you know, it's like, uh, you know, working in the TV and the, and the film biz, like I, I talk to a lot of people, you know, who are film fans but they'll sort of dismiss something like a Western. They're like, oh, I don't really like mm. Westerns. And you say like, well, but have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? They're like, no, no, no. And like the only thing they've seen are like a, a handful of John Wayne cowboy and Indian movies. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you, you gotta you gotta go here and here and here. And the, like, you know, there are some of those most amazing films ever made happen to be Westerns, but they just it, it's kind of almost happenstance that they're set in the west and they have horses in them because at the core of it look at the core of it first of all most westerns are crime stories most westerns right. are about outlaws and good guys and bad guys and you know whatever it's like I've, i always go back to there's a film called the last posse with uh with broderick crawford and it's like i, I i've described that to people because it's it's a very little known western mm -hmm. and i you know i've been i hang out with a lot of hardcore film noir fans and i'm like okay I'm, I'm gonna describe a movie to you stars broderick crawford as a cop the film opens with him stumbling in gut shot and he starts to lay out this story in flashback of what happened when a group of guys pulled off a heist and they're trying to hide the money and it's like oh my god this sounds like the greatest film noir ever and like takes place in the late 1800s on horseback just sort of happens to be a western so exactly right yeah yeah i mean you can have a, a lot of the stagecoach robberies that's just a heist film that's yeah. uh, dressed up with boats and uh spurs uh yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of them even uh if you look at one like a bad day of black rock everybody sees that oh that's that's good quasi noir yeah, yeah. But it's a western you yeah. know at its heart it's a western yeah. And, um, you know, also, too, you have other films like The Professionals that people will always say, oh, The Wild Bunch is a Western. But then they don't realize that The Professionals was actually as good, if not, in my opinion, a little bit better than The Wild Bunch. It. Not as bloody, but it was a great film. And so again, another one that could be branded as a Western. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it really is amazing. Uh, what about the, um, you've written an awful lot of short stories and you've also written an awful lot of novels. Uh, what is your process to approach a short story as opposed to a longer work? Do you find the prep time is almost about the same? I know the story is obviously much shorter, but um, do you put as do you have to prep as much for a shorter version or for a full length manuscript? No, short stories I, I can bang out pretty quickly. Uh, I think you know, and I I don't do a full outline usually. I'll I'll sort of 
I, I, well, I, I like to know where it's going to end. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I know sort of about beats I need to hit. Uh, but yeah, those are, they're great palate cleansers between novels. They're great things to, you know, a lot of times you spark on an idea and, and it's, it's a great scene. It's not necessarily a full novel. It's not necessarily a complete story. And, you know, those turn into short stories really well. And I think that the challenge is, is having something that does have a beginning, middle and end, even if it's sort of open-ended, you know, the, the, the challenge that I think a lot of novel writers who say, oh, I can't write short stories. I just can't do it that short is being okay, leaving something slightly unresolved or being okay with just, you know, just showing a, a sliver of someone's life or just a, you know, something that it's okay to leave a short story with questions and it's okay to start a short story without a ton of backstory and, and, and without knowing fully what's going on or who these people are, but you'll get it as long as you get enough sense of, of who those people are by the end, then it mm -hmm. becomes something that you can, uh, you know, think about and fill in the rest of it with your own imagination, which I think is, is fun for a reader. I think it's it's fun for a reader to put their own spin on something, I, you know, in a short and a novel. I, I'm, I'm one of the things I always do in, in my novels when I'm revising is I always go back and I have to add in you know, character descriptions and and right. stuff like, you know, what, what is this? Because I, I tend to leave that stuff out too much in my first drafts because I'm like, ah, people, they'll figure out what this guy looks like on their own. You know, I don't, I don't want to put too much of an image in their head. But, you know, I think that's part of the fun of, of reading for me. Right. Right. And the revision process, too, because that can be as arduous as, as every bit as much as writing the book maybe even more so because yeah. now you know where everything is, you know where everything goes, and now you have to dress it up a little bit, like with character descriptions and things like that. Right. Because I do the same thing. My first draft is always very sparse, and then I have to go back and then fill it in. So I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you answered my uh, next question too about the process of, of short story writing and, and as opposed to novel writing. So that was, uh, it, it's funny how, they're, they're palate cleansers because I find that too. I can't, if I'm writing the same genre, several books in a row, like I have with my Westerns, the short stories are always, even if it's another short story Western, it's a great way to push back the, the books, if you will, and make sure that my mind is reset for some new challenge. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the way to push through any kind of writer's block is just to sit down and do it and, and kind of write your way through it. And if you're stuck on a longer piece, if you turn your attention to something shorter, knock it out, finish something, you have that sense of accomplishment, you have that sense of, you know, telling a complete story, and then it's much easier to turn back to your, the longer work that maybe had you stumped a little bit, and you can come back a little bit recharged, a little bit more confident, which I think is what writer's block really comes down to. Uh, right. So yeah, I, I think for for everyone, for every writer I ever meet who says like, oh, I don't do short stories, I always really encourage them. It's like, yeah, you really should try harder or, or learn the discipline or at least make an attempt at it every now and then, because it, it, it really does just elevate your game on every level. Right. Yeah. And we got lucky, too, because when we were uh, starting to do this, we had Thuglet and they were able to uh, yeah. promote a lot of really good writers. And uh, Todd Robinson's feedback was always excellent to uh, anyone who submitted to that magazine. Yeah. It really was. He also found some good writers there too, oh, yeah. initially. 
Um, you've also co-written a lot of books with uh, people. And that's one thing I haven't done. So I'd be fascinated to find out what's your approach to that process and uh, how it unfolds for you in particular. It's been interesting. I, I sort of stumbled into it with both my co-writers. I, I wrote uh, three, three novels with a writer named J.B. Cole uh, and then three, three novels in a series uh, with Frank Zafiro. And I, it was nothing that I sought out. It was nothing that I w had uh, planned to do. And it's a little bit counterintuitive to what I enjoy about writing, which is <laughs> sort of being in complete control of something. Right. But uh, so uh, on, on one level, I don't recommend it to anyone, <laughs> but I had great experiences. I, I, had, I had great luck with, with working with other writers who were very collaborative and, and very open to, you know, my way of working or, or my ideas. And it went incredibly smoothly in, in both cases. So I, I haven't done it since I finished the last book with Frank. Uh, and I have, again, I haven't sought it out because I know it's a little bit, I, I, I got lucky and, and I, I'm worried that if I try it again or try it too often that I'll run into a situation that doesn't work out. But it's, it's an interesting process because you, you know, you're kicking around ideas with hopefully a like-minded person. I think that's, that's the right. key. It's like, if you're going to find somebody, you can't do something where you have completely different approaches to something or completely different attitudes towards your, your characters. You have to try to make it still of a piece and, you know, both of the times that I, that I did it, we, you know, we went with the approach of writing opposing first person chapters. So, you know, you would have your character that you were sort of in charge of and, and you're, you were writing your first person chapter and then alternating with your co-writer was writing, you know, something from the perspective of a different character. And in both cases, they, they interacted, but not on every page. And, and so you would, you would have times where they would come together and you would have to worry and talk to your co-writer, Hey, am I getting your character's voice right? And all that kind of stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was just made it easier, if it was, you could call it cheating, we sort of kept them, kept these characters separate a lot of the time in the same world, obviously, but you know, it's, it's a, it could be a tricky thing, but if you if you pull it off, I mean, hey, you only have to write half a book. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. That's right. You do half the work and then you get the full credit at the end. Yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, because uh, I would imagine that it's it's difficult when uh, it's, a, it's quite a transition when you're used to doing something on your own and then you have to uh, constantly get feedback from somebody else. Do you usually write one chapter and then the other writer writes another chapter or do you go through and, and thread them through each individual chapter. Yeah, I, I think in both, the, when I worked with J.B. Cole, uh, you know, we we came up with sort of that process that we we outlined together, sort of kicked back ideas. So we did have a full outline. We, we, we knew exactly where we were going. And then once we started, I would write a chapter, I would send it to her. She would read that, write her chapter, send it back. So that was the other really fun thing is that you also get to sort of read a book as you go. And even when you have the outline and, and you know what's happening to get that chapter, you know, in your inbox and, and to be able to read it and say, oh, this, oh, look what they did here. And that was great. And then it changes a little bit of what you're going to do. Uh, you know, on, on my second book with J.B. Cole, it was uh, called Borrowed Trouble, and it was it was a, a sequel to our first book that we wrote, and there was a character that she came up with that wasn't in the outline. She just, you know, the outline was 
he goes to you know the nightclub and the character that she wrote in the nightclub i was like oh wow oh this guy's great okay we have to expand him so we sort of stopped and and changed our outline after this character showed up out of nowhere because it was like oh no he's so great we got to use him more so that that kind of discovery element is is another really fun part of that process Right. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. And then the, every, both of you feed off each other's contributions as you go along. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. Um, I know that you're, you've had a, a couple of new books out now. What's coming up for you uh, in the near future in terms of releases? Well, right now I'm I'm trying to embrace the the absolutely glacial pace of publishing because I am an impatient person. Which is yeah. how I think I have so much stuff released because there's nothing worse to me than having something sitting on my hard drive finished <laughs> that's not out there. But my agent, uh, yeah, my agent's got uh, five completed manuscripts right now, so we're out there shopping. Uh, you know, just sort of trying to prioritize and say, okay, I think this this one is uh, could be the breakthrough book. This one I think is commercially viable, and you know, so trying to work the system and and be patient about it but we we have stuff on submission i've got nothing that's uh, that's scheduled to come out right now and i'm trying right. to be okay with that <laughs> i know <laughs> trying, and trying to trying to let you know the new really trying to let there and back have its moment and have time enough to find readers and you know get the feedback and and let people know that it's out there i think sometimes you know, you get opposing feedback, I think, from a lot of people, some of the people who are, are self-publishing and selling, you know, vast majority in ebooks, they say, oh, no, you got to continually feed the machine and you got to give readers, you know, a lot of material. And then some people say, no, 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 you're going to overwhelm people. Or you're going to, you, you know, the rising tide doesn't necessarily lift all boats, which is kind of what I felt like. I had one year, I think, where I put out four books mm -hmm. in one year. and you know, I, people don't have that much bandwidth to focus on that much. Right. You know, I, I think I, it might, maybe it was just me, but it's, you know, I mean, and this gets into the weeds with just how difficult a business this is. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think we all try different strategies and, and you, you try different things, but I, I think one thing that you've definitely found with the Westerns is, yeah, when, when you do get a character in a series that people are really into, then that's a situation where, yeah, they can't wait for that next one to come out. And and you get that. It's almost a backhanded compliment, which is that you, know, you spend all the time writing the book and, and polishing it and saying, okay, here it is that I presented it. And someone goes, oh my God, it was so great. I read it in a weekend. And you're like, oh, well, it <laughs> That took me eight eight months to write that. No. I mean, good for you. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you liked it. But oh man, now I gotta I gotta do it all over again because they're like, when's the next one coming? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. They think that it's just easy. And I mean, you and I write fast, but we don't write that fast. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's 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 not that easy. Yeah, it, it's really cool when people get invested in the character. And like you said, you know, the, these writings are a part of us, and it's not like dig, digging a ditch, as we we've often said. But it is still a labor of love, and you do want to have that labor recognized in some way. And in the way we do it, it's based on us getting published. So, uh, right. you know, there's the angst of actually doing the craft, and then there's the angst of the business part of it. Yeah, and that's something I don't know people really understand. And we've we've certainly been through the trenches on on yeah. that part of the business. 
Um, it really, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. How often does it usually take you to write a book? Typically. You know, I'm, when I, when I sit down and start typing, I'm usually three to four months. I, if, if I, on average, uh, I, but I, I'll kick around an idea and I'll think about it for at least that amount of time beforehand. And there are, you know, there are some ideas that I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll think about it and it's not fully gelled and I'll sort of file it away and come back to it, you know, two years later. And, and, you know, sometimes you change as a writer, sometimes you re realize something about the story with the distance that you hadn't thought of before and weren't ready to write that book. You know, right. I've, I've, I, there was a book that I wrote, uh, it's uh, as yet unsold, but I was, I was really keen on, on the idea, but I kept thinking like, it's just not me. It's just, it feels more like a Megan Abbott book or something, you know, I'm, I, I'm not the writer to, to do this. And so I filed it away and it was literally, I think five years later, six years later, I, I kept sort of going through my file of, you know, ideas and deciding what to write next. And I came back to that one and I gave it a little more thought. I really sat down and I figured out a way to, the, oh, okay, if I do this, mm -hmm. that feels like me. And then, oh, and, and, and something about it. Then I got my hooks in it and, and was able to finish it. So sometimes you just need to wait until you're the right author to write that book. Right, right. Yeah, because writers, at least good writers anyway, are always evolving and they're yeah. always looking for a way to evolve. Uh, do you find that the, and you touched on this earlier, do you find some of the critique that you get from your audience when they read a book helps improve or uh, helps impact the next book that you might be writing? Not necessarily the next one that'll come out because production schedules being what they are, but does it, right. it impact your writing or overall? Have you found? Not a ton but i did have one interesting experience with that i think is when i my book rum runners uh, which at the time was the best reviewed and and, and my best selling book and, and i got a lot of reader response to that one people people really dug it and i had a plan to to write more with with these characters because I, I really dug them and the reader feedback that I got was very much like, oh, was, I, I really loved it. I really love Calvin, who was the, you know, 80 something year old father of, of who I thought was the main character who came in and, and he, he starts kicking ass and, you know, he's, he was a career criminal. And so he had this great backstory and he, he just was the one that readers really connected to. So I scrapped the idea I had for a sequel and I went back and did a prequel, Leadfoot, that was like, well, if readers like Calvin, let's explore him more and go back to his beginnings, because it didn't seem realistic to me to continue going as as he's getting even older, right? And he keeps plowing through and you know kicking ass and taking names. Like it, it would have just got cartoony, right? So it, that was a case where I listened to the reader feedback and responded to the character that they wanted more of. And, and that completely changed the trajectory of, of what ended up being that trilogy. Yeah. You know? Right. And that's a healthy way to approach giving the audience what they want. I mean, if you want to be 
successful, you can't disappoint them all the time and you can't give them everything they want. But at the same right. time, I, I know with me, when I get feedback on something like I did with the Westerns, a lot of people told me, wow, Jeremiah Halstead's really an interesting character. So I said, you know what? My publisher was ready to do another series of somebody else. So I, I used him and just like you went back and did a, a prequel. And that's, mm. uh, you know, that makes, that keeps it loyal to what you're doing, but at the same time entertaining which is what we ultimately want to do, I think. Yeah, and and I think entertaining for ourselves, because if you're going to spend that much time with the characters and you're going to spend, uh, you know, all this time creating their entire life, it has to be people that that we find interesting and, and that know, I, I think there's something about knowing that the readers are, you know, almost pre-sold on something or, or if, if the readers... If the readers are really interested, it almost sparks our interest even more to to want to dig deeper into these people. So, right, and that's like a healthy interaction between the our author and the and the reader, as yeah. opposed to a lot of stuff that we get on social media where it might not be as productive. Right, right. <laughs> it's sometimes you get people just want to go on a rant and complain about something that we've written instead of actually contributing to it. So well, and I think you know. I think the, the authors who who do get into this really long running series, uh, you know, I've had some conversations with Sarah Paretsky, uh, you know, Vera Warshawski is she's a part of these people's lives for you know 20, 30 years now. So if Sarah does something that readers don't like, or or you know, if she puts Vi through something that's too harrowing, or you know. Or even it's it's often like the side characters or something. Heaven forbid you kill off, you know, the the wacky sidekick that people love or something. I mean, <laughs> those are the readers that are really gonna let you know. And like, oh no, you how dare you? Because they're I mean, that's a part of their family at some point. You know, Harry Bosch has been in these readers' lives in in a really intimate way for decades. And so the people really get emotional about these people. Right, right. And it's it's really a thrill. We don't have success like Bosch does or V.I. Warshawski, but, you know, it's definitely uh, in our own way. We love it when the readers latch on to one of the characters we created. Yeah, yeah no, it's really fantastic. Uh, any, I know a lot of people, we're, we're here to talk about his latest release, but I have to say Rum Runners, if you love your crime fiction good, Rum Runners is told in the way of Richard Stark, Donald mm -hmm. Westlake and his finest. That was that was a fantastic book. Um, you. Do you have any uh, authors that you credit as being an influence on your style? Yeah, you know, I I think I started as a screenwriter, and you know, I I went to film school. I mean, I'm, I'm I work in the film and TV biz, so I probably take as much, if not more, influence from films than than novels. Uh, yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons why my books tend to be on the on the shorter side. You know, I'm usually in like 65,000, 70,000 word, you know, like under 300 pages. Yeah. Because uh, I like things tight. I like things pretty lean, you know, like a, like Richard Stark. I mean, those those Parker books are you couldn't find a better template for a crime novel that puts the criminal at the center of it and yet is someone who is sympathetic and and someone you, that you're completely on his side 
but you know, especially those early books. And, and you know, I, I read a lot of vintage crime novels, you know, from the forties right. and fifties. And and you know, if if they hit over fifty thousand words, it's it's unique. But it appeals to that you know film length <laughs> brain that I have, and, and and you know, and I think anyone who will tell you that oh that's too short oh they, they, no that's just a novella it's it's too slight and readers aren't going to get enough out of it i mean that's complete nonsense because mm-hmm. you look at a lot of the great american novels if you know the great gatsby or you know old man in the sea is what 20,000 i mean just, right so you know and and you look at any look at your favorite movie I think chances are it's under two hours and it tells a complete story with fully fleshed 3D characters who, you know, go through changes and evolve and have a, a denouement and all these different things. You know, it's like you, you can tell a really complete story in a mm-hmm. really tight amount of time. So I think that is a, a bigger influence on my storytelling style than any sort of prose style. Right. Uh, you know, I think prose-wise, I, I definitely lean towards again, I, I, almost like a, a, a vintage kind of '50s, you know, simplicity. And I don't like things to be overwritten. I don't like things right. to be, you know. But but I, you know, that said, I do love a great simile and and a good metaphor. I've, I'll I'll admit to that. I probably overwrite some of those, but but when you get a great one, I mean, like the, those. Everyone talks about Chandler and what's the first thing they go to is they quote some of those amazing similes and metaphors and the way he just, you know, describing a woman is somebody would make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass. I mean, it's like, come on, <laughs> like that that's the stuff that sticks with you as much as you might sort of roll your eyes at it in, in a critical sort of way. But if, if you have, if you make something that's fun for the reader i that's like i always i i don't like to make stories that are too dark and dour i i, I think you right. need you need a, a little bit of humor in there to balance the darkness because you just you want to be entertaining you want to be entertaining and a lot of times the most entertaining thing is a good laugh you know so exactly right yeah especially if it's folded into the pieces of the story it doesn't yeah. have to be a comical rob schneider kind of character in the middle of judge dread for example it could be something that fits with the story and a banter or something like that. And that's something Richard Stark did very well. Yeah. Um, and you, you also touched on something important too that I don't think a lot of people understand. It's the, the 1940s and 50s and 60s to some extent. Crime fiction isn't just hats and gats and gun malls. Especially if you read the books, a lot of them have some really beautiful passages in it. And out oh, yeah. of all of Chandler's books, the, the best passage I read of his, in my opinion, is high window when he's on the stakeout in the in a bad part of town and he's talking about it's just two paragraphs and and it's towards the end of his his series but i gotta tell you that really taught me a lot about how to set up a description of a town and the people in it without using up a lot of words and um you know it's and and the, the storytelling back then was a lot more economical i also think it was because these guys were and most of them were guys they were churning out a lot of stories, a lot oh, of yeah. manuscripts per year just to keep the lights on. And they didn't live incredibly well. Chandler was no. an exception, but you know, a lot of these guys were, were, were struggling. So in terms of films uh, or film directors, let's say, have any of them influenced you more than others? Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a huge film noir fanatic uh, and uh, you know, you, 
look at again like i think when it, when it comes down to the the those kind of films like i'll lean towards someone like anthony mann uh you know mm -hmm. made films like raw deal and t-man and desperate and railroaded and and you know stuff that's a little bit more you know they're they're, they're terse and they're hard-boiled and and they're right in your face uh and they get, get right to the point i think uh you know stuff that stuff that has a, a real forward driving momentum i'm i'm not as interested in traditional mystery that looks backward I, and I, to me that's always the difference is like if you know you, you have a story where you know in your opening scene there's a dead body on the floor let's figure out who did it that's right. that's the story that that looks backward and you're piecing together the puzzle and and that puzzle is very fun for for readers and for movie watchers and and i enjoy a lot of that but the ones that get me most excited are kind of the opposite where, you know, that opening scene is something happens to a character and now, you know, they're on the run or now they're trying to rescue someone, you know, but some a story that drives forward with intent. Right. And that it was very much an influence on the kind of stories that I find interesting to write. Now, look, I'll admit part of that might be that I'm not smart enough to reverse engineer a great mystery because <laughs> that is an incredible skill that I have so much admiration for. Yeah. And every time that I've tried to attempt that, I get in the weeds of like, well, oh, no, I have to drop a clue here or I, I have to know everything that's going on and and, and you have to be adept at the art of the misdirect without being too obvious and if you can pull that off and do a, a traditional mystery really well that keeps your audience guessing without the heavy hand of the author being so obvious that's that's the other thing is i think it's really tempting to and and i've read a lot of big bestsellers where i felt like oh come on that's you know whether it's a conveniently placed chapter break or whether someone uh, you know i'd I don't want to name names, but there, you know, there's a lot of stories where it's like, there's a lot of convenient, I don't remember, or I was too drunk that night or whatever. Right. That's like, like, okay, I, I get it, but that's just the author showing you that, that they're manipulating you. And, and I've, I, those are the kind of stories that I I'll tune out as a reader because I'm like, no, no, you're, I, I know, again, I know this is all, I know the resolution is coming. Right. I know by the time I get to those last two chapters, I'm going to find out who done it, or I'm going to find out what the what the central mystery is. It's all going to be revealed. So don't make the holding off that reveal into a chore for me. If right. you can make it fun, if you can make me keep guessing, if you can keep me intrigued with new little side stories or you know a, a, a characters that I'm I'm interested in and who who change and, and surprise me. Then that's something that you can that uh, me as a reader can can latch onto. But yeah, I think too often you just get straight up manipulation by the author that uh, is that's no fun for me. Right. Yeah. Because I think sometimes, and, and I know it's happened to me, you get to the end of the book a little too soon, and mm. then you say, "Oh, well, I mean, I got to add some filler in here," and they do that. But I think where you and I come in is we tend to take that out, and then we'll say, "All right, we're." 20,000 words short of where we needed to be to get this published. Let's go back to the beginning of the story and see where I can add in there. And I've lost track of how many times that's happened to me. And I wind up creating an even better ending than the one I envisioned. 
Yeah. So revision is very much a part of the creative process. It's not just one and done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely part of the whole thing. How can people get in touch with you, follow your career? Because they they better have a, if they put an alert on a Google alert on their system for you, they're going to get pinged like eight times a day because of all of the stuff <laughs> that you're always releasing. It'll sound like a like Big Ben all the time. What's the best way that people can? Uh, find uh, more information about you online. Uh, well, again, there's my website, ericbeatner.com. I, I keep everything simple. So my, my website is just ericbeatner.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, just at Eric Beatner. Uh, you know, I, I try to keep people uh, up to date with with the new releases or any appearances that are going on. Uh, I, but it's it's easy, I think, these days to hunt someone down if you if you want to find out more about their books and i think that you know guys like you and i who do have a pretty heavy back catalog i i i love when i find a new author and you read something like oh this is great what else do they have and you go oh look at this treasure trove of, of other right. stuff to read oh i'm gonna have so much fun enjoying this so yeah I, I i love when that happens and i'm i i hope and it's always the goal yeah that someone We'll read something maybe it's the, you find the latest and then you want them to go back and and dig in and see what else that, that, that they can find that they hadn't heard of the first time and i think you know for for again for guys like us it's it, it's it, it can be really uh we, we can be on your nightstand for the next couple of years if you really right if you want to do <laughs> exactly right yeah i know i mean the way we turn stuff out it, it's it, it's sometimes i look on the bookshelf and i, I just can't believe they said damn, I got all of those up there. I can't yeah. imagine. And it, it's like somebody else wrote it, but of course I, I did. And, so and then you get the, the absolute worst question. I, I'll, I'll say this, the, the worst question you can ask an author who has a lot of books is, oh, what should I start with? Right, <laughs> like, right. I don't or, or, know. <laughs> like, well, it's, and it's, it's, it's always going to be, here's the newest and shiniest thing. Just, just try that. <laughs> right, exactly right. Yeah, what's the best book that represents your style? Well, all yeah. of them do because I wrote them all, but yeah, I know it, it's, it's, it's amazing sometimes. And then there's also, uh, you do the noir at the bars too a lot, uh, not just in LA, but all over the country. How's that experience been for you? It's been so great. I, you know, we, gosh, we're entering our 12th year in LA uh, doing them and we're, you know, we're, we're finally back to doing them in person uh, after, after COVID uh, in, I've done them at a lot of the BoucherCon uh, you know, if, if, uh, conferences. I mean, at this point, I've I think I've hosted more than 500 readers. And yep. it, you know, I, I I I did not originate it. it you know, we started in Philadelphia by a guy named Peter Rosofsky, and then uh, I first heard about it from uh, the guys in St. Louis, uh, Jed Ayers and Scott Phillips, who picked up the name from Peter and asked him if they could use it for the events that they started doing. So they, they were the, the ones that where I heard it, they were, they were the number, the second ones in, yep. in the, in the franchise. And then one, there was a bookstore here in LA that uh, called the mystery bookstore that, that closed down. And all of a sudden I felt like the, the sort of the central hub for LA crime writers. And that was right when I was first starting, I had my, my first ever book signing there. And the sense of community sort of evaporated without that central hub. So I called Jed and Scott and I said, hey, do you guys mind if I, you know, sort of start a franchise out here using the Noir at the Bar name? And they gave it their blessing. And it's been, I think, a really valuable connective 
meeting place for LA crime writers and, and readers, you know, and I've always viewed it. It's, it's much more of a, of a, of a social gathering to me than like a book selling. Right. Event. Like we, we have a bookseller on site and I'm so happy that people can grab some books and get them signed and hear a new author that they've never heard of. And we've hosted people who are giant bestsellers to people who've are, we've had a lot of people do their very first public reading at North the bar. And, and then we've had people come and do a reading of a short story. And then the next time they appear a year or two later, they're there with their debut novel. And that's incredibly satisfying. So yeah. it, I think, you know, and now they're, they've sprouted up like mushrooms. They're all over the country and literally all over the world. So, you know, people, I think immediately saw the value of having that gathering place where, readers and writers can get together expose you to someone new have that sense of community that unfortunately with so many bookstores closing down was was starting to to fade away so i, I think right. every time that i get so like oh this is a lot of work and eh, maybe i've done it too long i'm like no no if if this goes away then i'm, I'm i'll have that same feeling so i i keep plugging away at it <laughs> Right, right. And you're right about it being rewarding, too. I remember you and I did one that might have been the first one at the bar at a BoucherCon, which was in Albany at that time. Yeah, yeah. And then we, I remember we put it together. We were, we passed each other in the hallway. We said, can we pull this off? We found a room that was ending uh, that did, that had a gap in it. We sent out stuff over social media and we had like 200 people there. And it was yeah. just, that was an incredibly rewarding experience. It's not just about writing the books it's also about interacting with our fellow creatives that makes it all worthwhile oh absolutely yeah because we're we're alone in a room and and you you i think there's there's an incredible value in meeting readers and getting out and getting that feedback but yeah just hanging out with your fellow writers uh, you know whether it, eventually it always devolves into commiserating about how <laughs> the, the misery that we all suffer but you know you can I come away from those interactions being inspired and energized and, you know, you, you, you see a, maybe a different way of doing something. Somebody has got a great piece of advice. Someone has a great story that of a way that they, you know, had some sort of success or, you know, you just, you can cheerlead for your fellow authors and it's, it's just, it's a great time getting to hang out with other writers and other people that are, are like-minded it, it, there's there's something so valuable about that that it, it, I think if you can create a place for that to happen, then yeah, it, it's it, there's everyone appreciates it, and no no one more so than the people who are who organize and run these things because just to see everyone come away from an evening like that being energized, and then they're going to go back home and they're they're ready to hit the keyboard and get going with whatever they're working on. That's that's the best feeling. Yeah, yeah, it always is keeping those creative fires stoked and burning. Yeah. It's uh, it's really important. Everybody, this we have had Eric Beatner on here with us today. I've said it on social media. I'll say it here. He's a writer's writer, and he's a reader's writer as well. I mean, it's uh, you'll be hard pressed to to read something of his that you don't like because he's he covers it all. Um, so Eric, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's it's been great talking to you. It's been great talking to you. It's good to see you again. I, I, the most unlikely cowboy in the world. I, <laughs> I know, from Bronx Irish Catholic. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't write a, a book till he was uh, West until he was 30 or ride a horse. But yeah, 
You know, it was, uh, it's, it's been quite a ride, I'll tell you, pun intended. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Terrence McCauley, and this has been another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.